All right, y'all, it's good to be with you. My name is Will Boschin. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And we, last week, jumped into a new series called BC, The History of Redemption, looking at this period in history before Christ and uh, this really this Old Testament story and how it is the story, the history of redemption. And so uh, this whole series is geared towards helping you understand this BC time period, asking this question, what is the history of redemption that unfolds in the Old Testament story? And so Jesus, uh, you, you know this, it's why it's called AD and BC. He breaks into the world's historical record at zero AD. But what we'll see over and over again is that he's the central figure, figure in the history of redemption that God has written in the scriptures uh, long before history begins, uh, long before he breaks into the historical record at zero AD. And so in order to have redemption, there must be uh, corruption. And so in order to even have a story or history of redemption, there must first be corruption. But in order for there to be corruption, there has to be something uh, that has been corrupted. There has to be something before uh, redemption. There has to be something before corruption. And so the best way for us of even knowing where this history of redemption leads us to, the best way of understanding that, uh, of where, where we're going to go and where we end up is looking back at where we were. Uh, we know that things are not as they should be. And honestly, a lot of me wanted to just jump straight into uh, the corruption that we see uh, that precedes redemption. I wanted to jump into that this week, but before we can even have a conversation about corruption and the brokenness that's in this world, which there is plenty of, we need to see what it once was so that we can know what it will one day be again. And so in considering the history of redemption, we will begin at the beginning. And the thing I want you to ultimately take away from today is that uh, to see that because Jesus has the authority of the Creator, He can fulfill the promises of redemption. Because He has the authority of the Creator, He can fulfill the promises of redemption. And so we're going to start at the beginning. So Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. So if you want to open your Bible and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to take a moment and just pray for us as we engage with God's word and pray ultimately that you'd hear a word from him and not from me. And his word would speak to you and encourage your heart, fuel your worship this week. So take a moment and just pray for yourself right where you are. Uh, if you're in your car, you're with your family or by yourself, wherever you are, just take a minute and pray that God would speak to your own heart. Father, would you meet us in this, uh, in these moments? Would you break through uh, time and space just to get this message into the right heart at the right time? What you want to say to them? Would you use a weak vessel? Um, would you use me uh, to even get this message across? What you want to say? It's in Jesus' name. I pray this, Heavenly Father. I pray your Holy Spirit would be in this place where I am speaking these words, empowering these words. But then would you be in the, the, the living rooms, in the kitchens, in the cars, on the walks, wherever it is that pe people are listening, engaging this, would you be there with them in this powerful way, convincing them of your love for them in Jesus now? It's in Jesus' name I pray that, Father. Amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so what you see here right at the beginning uh, is a blank canvas, and truly there's no canvas at all. The, the earth was without form and void. And, and then something happens, right? Something happens from this place. The chorus over the, next, of the, the rest of this chapter is that God speaks and God said and God said and God said. And so what happens is that God speaks and creation bursts forth. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage in the Chronicles of Narnia in the book that actually recounts sort of the creation component of Narnia. And uh, you get to witness, you get, you get a snapshot into what was witnessing this creation moment in Narnia. And C.S. Lewis is doing his best to kind of capture with his imagination an idea that is here spoken of in Genesis 1. And what you see is this lion, Aslan, pacing back and forth. You don't know he's Aslan yet, but he's just a lion. And you can slowly, surely see him pacing back and forth. But he's not just walking, and he's not just talking, he's singing. And, and as he's singing, the notes that he's uh, singing are actually bringing forth trees and flowers and grass and mountains and rivers. And everything is coming up at the sound of his voice. His voice speaks and it creates. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is that God speaks and it creates. And, and it, he, he, he did this out of nothing. So Hebrews 11, cha- uh, chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe... The universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we, you couldn't even lay your eyes on anything and God spoke and it was. And not just the earth, the universe was, was created. That's what Hebrews 11 just said. The universe was created by, uh, by his words. And, and honestly, uh, it's, it's interesting to see all of science, all of the scientific community laboring uh, to unpack. They're not laboring to create. They're actually just trying to unpack the wonders of what he has made, right? Science, you can, only, you can even do science, which re- requires you to, re- uh, to recreate things, to, to take these laws of physics and laws of the universe and understand things more fully. You can even do that because of the way that God created them and that he holds them together. Um, and so uh, science is working to unpack the wonders of what he has made. There's advanced engineering, that exists inside of your every cell. Advanced engineering has taken place there and and science is still unpacking what is even uh, at the heart of that engineering in just a single cell of your body. And then, and then science is still doing its best just to find the boundaries of the universe. It's, it, it, you know, we send out our biggest and strongest um, telescopes out into the nothing to see how far it can reach. And we continue to discover new things further and further out. What are the bounds of this universe that he has created with his words? There's a Time Magazine article that came out while I was in college. It was really interesting. stuck with me. And uh, it's an article that is about these two, uh, these two scientists, and they both help map the human genome. And so they've done things in their lifetime that just far exceeds any, any scientific contribution that not just I will make, but, but almost any scientist would make. These are scientists who are at the top of their game. And what was interesting is that one of them is an atheist and one of them is a theist. Uh, the particulars of, of his belief in God, I don't know, but I do know that he, is, he believes in God and one does not believe in God. 
But what's fascinating is as they unpack and kind of like go through this article, the, the conclusion of the article was fascinating. I'll never forget it because the atheist scientist, what he concluded was that if there is a God, he actually came to the point where he, he acknowledged that I, I, he doesn't know if there is, but if there is, he said, he is far greater than anybody is saying. If there is a God, he is so much greater than anybody is saying. And there, there are these unseen glories in the universe. This blew my mind. Light from the North Star. So the North Star is a, a, one of the more famous stars, Polaris. And uh, light from that star, when it reaches your eyes, is 680 years old. I, I don't know if I totally even that makes sense, but it took 680 years for that light traveling at the speed of light to reach your eyes. So when you look up at the night sky and you see the North Star, what you are doing is actually seeing 680 years old, uh, 680 years uh, uh, of light traveling or, or time that has surpassed, passed between that light getting to your eyes when it left Polaris. Isn't that crazy? That's before Christopher Columbus landed in North America. That was before he sailed the ocean blue in 1492. It's in the 1300s that that light tonight when it hits your eyes was coming from Polaris. That is crazy. We do not grasp the wonders and the majesty of this universe. We just get glimpses into it with the telescopes that get way out there. And we don't understand even the wonders of the cellular level, the most tiny components of God's majestic creation. But all of chapter one, what it does is leads you up to the pinnacle of his creation, which he says is a human being that he has made in his image. He decides after making all of these wonderful things, these wonderful things, he makes the thing that is most special to him that he makes in his own image. I asked my daughter this week, we were reading something from a, a kid's Bible about Genesis 1, and I said, what, what is God's most special creation? And she looks at me and she goes, buffalo. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, man, why would you pick buffalo? I guess we just, we've really instilled the importance of the buffalo. But, uh, but it, I said, no, baby girl, it's, it's us. It's people. The first woman and the first man were the pinnacle of God's creation. And it's written right there in Genesis 1, verse 26. Male and female, he created them. Right from the beginning, man and woman. Pinnacle of his creation, made in God's image, which... What he's talking about when he's making them in his image and in his likeness, those are represent, they're, they're saying he, they, these are representatives of God throughout his creation, but then these are also his children. We are in community with God. And, and, it's, and it talks about how they would walk with him, or really how God was walking in the cool of the day, and after sin enters into the world, they, they stop walking with him. And that walking with him is not just uh, that they were physically walking next to him. It's an idiom that means that they're going along with him, that they were living their lives in tandem, in community with God, representing his purposes in creation. It is everything you could hope for it to be. And truly, this moment, that Genesis 1 and 2, is the basis for the dignity of all human beings. And it's partly why I so badly want to just get into the corruption to see, to, to reveal how sin has corrupted and fractured uh, our world so that this dignity and worth of all human beings is not actually lived out between us. So every race, every gender, every age, 
Every person has value and worth because they're made in the image of God. So there are, there are things this week, just, just to touch on this, uh, and we'll talk more next week, but uh, just to touch on that, there are things this week that are happening that uh, 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 men and women being killed who should not be killed. It's, and it's injustice, and that, and that breaks uh, my heart, breaks God's heart, uh, because he made human beings with dignity and worth right from the beginning. And so not to get too much into the corruption, but to see uh, murder is wrong and justice is wrong, especially against human beings, because, uh, not because we as a society decided that it was. It's wrong because God decided that it was, and because those are image bearers. It's the pinnacle of his creation. And it was good. All of creation was good. There was this shalom. It was peace in every direction. Whatever part of your life where there's not peace, whether that's with God or with other people or um, uh, with creation, with your work or with yourself in your home, any of these places where you feel a lack of peace that was not there. There was peace with God, with others, with creation. And so the point that you need to see is that in the beginning, it was good. It was good. It was the very best. And, and to, to capture this in my mind, there is this island in New Braunfels, my wife's hometown, uh, a place that I love. And this island to me is this heavenly place. It's pretty magical. At least the memories I have there are magical. It's, it's uh, set apart the, the, a river that springs up, runs, and, and then goes around this island. And so it has a river running on both sides of it. And around the island is this deep, cool, clear water. You can see right to the bottom. You can see the fish swimming. And um, I love that place. The last time I was in New Braunfels, I just found a way to get over near the island. And there's a diving board, actually, that goes just, you can jump off into this deep 10-foot water uh, river running right through, right around the island. You can jump right in. And, um, and, and I had to actually hustle out once I jumped in. So I went and kind of snuck in there because you have to have access to be able to get into that place. It's like all the neighborhood that, that is right by the island, they have privileges that they are allowed to enter into that park and play and, um, and be there. And so somebody has to let you in. And I didn't have that person to let me in that time. And so I snuck in and uh, my daughter, my niece, my brother-in-law were all watching me and um, they were my lookouts. And, uh, and so, but I just had to jump in because it was so good. It's like this heavenly place. I just want to be. But then this week I was uh, at an apartment complex and I get to go around to some apartment complexes in Fort Worth and just try to engage people with God's word. And it's a really sweet opportunity I have, but I was standing by an apartment pool. And um, every time I'm by a, a pool and I look around and it's deep enough to have had a diving board, but there's not one, I always look and I can always find this kind of scar in the concrete uh, around where, uh, where the, it used to be. So you can look and you can see where there used to be a slide or there used to be a diving board before they took away the fun uh, from that pool. And, uh, and there's good reasons why they took away the fun, but, uh, but I, I really love those diving boards. And, it, and so to me, uh, our world is sort of like that. Our world is sort of like the distance, or it's kind of like this apartment pool when we know that this island diving board pool exists. We hurt and we ache because uh, when it's not just, oh, that's not fun. It's actually pain and brokenness and hurt and ugliness and evil. We can see kind of a glimpse of how it once was. 
It makes us long for that. Makes us long for that. And so we know that something's wrong now because we see evil in our world, right? Evil is just the absence of good. It's like cold is the absence of heat. And so we, we know that uh, there was once this place because we can see the evil in this world and it's not how it always was. There is a diving board somewhere to be found. And we're going to get into, again, the specifics of the corruption that comes in chapter 3 and the promise of redemption that's whispered even at the beginning of this corruption. Um, but I just want to just say with this, we, we know this is not how the world should be. The, 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 the pool that we're seeing, we can see the scars of what once was. And there's things that make me sick that are happening in this world. And you would be naive, you'd have to be naive, or maybe you're just young and you, you haven't seen some of the brokenness that's playing out around us, but it's there. Um, I, I, we'll get into it more, but uh, I want you to see not just that it's that there's evil now, there's corruption now, uh, but that it was once good, but, but not just that. I want you to see that Jesus was there when it was good. I want you to see that Jesus was there when it was made. John 1, verse 1, says it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Can he, I don't think he can be more clear about this. Let's just read it one more time. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so what you see is in the beginning, Jesus is that word. That's what John is all about. Colossians 1, 1, uh, Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so in the beginning, Jesus was there. And that gives him something. It gives him authority because he was there and he wasn't just there. He was the one through whom all things were made. Those edges of the universe that we haven't touched with a telescope, all things were made through him down into the very color of your skin. He was, he was done. He, he made that down into the color of your eyes, down into all of all things were made through him. There's not a, there's not a species. There's not a cloud type. There's not any, there's not a molecule that wasn't made through King Jesus. And so he has authority. Because he has the authority of the creator, he can fulfill the promises of redemption. That's what we're talking about. During Jesus' ministry, uh, we get a glimpse of his authority. And so just track with me. This is a quick story from Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 31, or 35 through 41. It says, on that day, this is a day in Jesus' ministry, when, when uh, the author, the creator of the universe, showed up on our planet one day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with him, uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with, them, were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, sea, uh, wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, Sally Lloyd Jones captured that. She says, he stands up and says, Hush. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And here's the interesting response. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so it's true that the goodness of the garden was corrupted. But when Jesus comes on the scene, it's like the conductor, the composer, coming onto the set, the creator coming in to redeem what has been corrupted. And my mom sent me this video. I still don't exactly know why she sent it to me. She said, I said, why'd you send this to me? And she said, uh, your aunt sent it to me. And so I was like, okay, let's watch it. And it's, it's, it's an interesting video. It's of this uh, symphony uh, orchestra set up. And they're just sitting there in their chairs. And then they, they kind of see these random looking guys walking by. They're in painter's outfits and they kind of uh, bumble and stumble around. And then you kind of see them passing by the podium where the conductor would stand. And one of them kind of like, you know, they're just goofing around and he goes up on the stand. But all of a sudden he grabs a hold of uh, that little stick that they use, you know, wh whatever that's called. And, um, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I know who this guy is. Because when he grabs that stick, there's something about the way that he, his posture changes. And all of a sudden you see that he's in command here. And the symphony responds to his direction. And it's this fascinating little video to watch, but it's, like, it's just like this moment where the conductor takes his stand and the symphony of creation begins to respond to his directions. He says, peace be still, and it's still. You see that the author, the creator, the director has come on to the set. And so, so what? Who, you know, what's the big deal about any of this? The, the big deal is that the New Testament, why should you care that Jesus is not, he's, he's the author, or the creator before he's the redeemer? Why should you care? And you should care because the New Testament is going to make these outrageous claims about Jesus. Outrageous claims about Jesus, including the one that says he's going to make all things new. In the book of Revelation, he looks straight-faced at you and says, I'm going to make all things new. How do you like that? And so, here's the so what. We can trust that in the end, he has the authority to make all things new because he has the authority, he had the authority to create all things from the beginning. We can trust what John 1 goes on to say about Jesus after saying he was there before the beginning, which is truly what he was. He was there before the, before the beginning. John 1 verse 5 goes on to say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But listen to this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so here's the deal. You need to know that he's the author, that he's the creator, because you need to know that he has the right to give out those kinds of rights. He has the authority to give out those kinds of rights to people. 
And so again, next week when we look closer uh, at the corruption that follows creation, um, we're going to unpack what the specifics of that corruption are. But the first thing I want you to see is that our Redeemer is also the Creator. Our Redeemer is also the Creator. And I don't want you to just see Him as that, but to worship Him as that. That in your heart you would be uh, filled with worship for Jesus the Creator. He was there from the beginning, and He knows how to lead you back home. Which is what this ark of the, the, uh, the stories of the scriptures are going to take us on. It's, it's actually kind of like an inverted arc where it starts here in this beautiful garden in this shalom paradise and we descend into darkness, into separation, and then we ascend back again. That's the arc of the scriptures. And in and, and the pinnacle of the most tragic, broken part of this story, the Son of God himself dies. Pain for you to return home. And what I want you to do with this, I want you to let his authority, the, the awareness of the reality that he is not just, a, he is not first our redeemer, but first our creator, that, that his authority would break through two things in your life. First, it would break through distraction in your life. You know this is true. If, you, if you're an employee somewhere and you're, uh, you have a boss, then when the boss shows up, you sit up and take notice. When the one who's in charge shows up, you take notice. And that's what the disciples were doing that day on the, on the sea. They, they were taking notice because the one who was in charge had shown up. But it didn't just break through distraction. It breaks through discouragement and despair. That's what was happening for them on the boat. Their, their fear of these storms or despair about their current circumstances was replaced with an accurate fear of the one who's in charge of all things. We know that things are not the way that they should be. But you can also know that they are not now how they will one day be. They will one day be made new again. Jesus has the authority to say so and to do so. And if you're in Jesus, redemption will be yours. And what redemption even means is to be bought back, to be ransomed, bought back. And so the reality is that because Jesus is the creator, he, has the, uh, he can afford to make that kind of purchase. And so our story starts in a garden and it's going to end in a garden. There's a tree of life in this garden in Genesis chapter 2. If you go, go, go and read it, there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. But it's so fascinating. You look at Revelation 22, you know it's there in that garden is that tree of life. And Jesus says, I can give you the right to eat from that. That tree that is, has fruit that you're eating, you'll never, you'll never perish. You'll never be separated from God again. And so at what happens at the beginning of the story when we, we lose access to that garden, right? We lose the privilege of being there. And so without Jesus, we would be outside of this eternal garden, just staring at this diving board that we don't have access to. We don't have the privilege to go and enjoy. We're staring at relationships that are uh, restored, at tearless, painless glory that only gets better further up and further in. That's what we're kept from. If apart from Jesus, we have no access, no privilege to enter into that garden, that one day return home. But because 
our Redeemer is the Creator. We have access. You have access right now to the throne of God. That's what, that's what the Scriptures tell you, is you get to actually go and talk to Him. Right now you have access, and one day we're going to have physical, resurrected access to the garden forever. And so you can take heart where corruption in this world is bringing despair. You can take notice when distractions in this world are calling to you loudly. But you don't take heart in our ability to make all things new and our ability to rescue ourselves from the brokenness that we're in. You don't take heart in that. You take heart in his ability to do that. Pray with me. Father, would you uh, speak into our hearts and minds this great truth that our Savior didn't show up at a single point in time, but that our Savior is... Uh, is eternal, that before the beginning, Jesus, you were with the Father and you were with the Spirit and that you knew and that you were writing our story of redemption from the very beginning and that when corruption broke into this world that you whispered the truth and the hope of redemption. But even before that, you were there. You know the way home because you have been there. And so would you, as a church, would you would you gather our hearts up and would you um, just speak hope and, and, and truth into them? Would you help us uh, in this season to take hold of your hand in an even stronger way and follow you as you lead us forward from here? We know that you have the authority to do so and we want to worship you um, for all of your glory, all of your authority, all of your goodness. We worship you as our King, as our Savior, as our God. So it's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.